on this series. Uh, kind of a good reminder, isn't it, about our tongues? And here's what happens. We get reminded. We get reminded that, uh, you know, I need to control my tongue. I have some toxic talk. And so we, we pay more attention to it. And then in the process, we're like, oh, you know, if we don't rely on the Lord, if we don't let God detox our talk, here's what's going to happen. After a few weeks, after the series is over, after a few weeks of trying to control it in your own power, you're going you're gonna to fail and you're going to get frustrated. So it's kind of like uh, the person that prayed this, Dear Lord, so far I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm really glad about that. But in a few moments, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm really going to need a lot more help. Okay, can you identify with that? We're pretty good in our own power for a short time. But we need God to help us detox our talk. We're talking about grumbling. And uh, our own Mark Twain said, Don't complain and talk about all your problems. 80% of people don't care, and the other 20% will think you deserve them anyway. And so, you know, godless grumbling and complaining is really not what God wants us to do. Look in your notes. What is murmuring? We're talking about murmuring. Godless grumbling. What is it? We saw last week, complaining with a critical spirit. Circle that critical spirit. That's the heart of the matter. What's your spirit? It holds on to a negative attitude towards a situation or people involved. And last week we looked at, uh, in the wilderness, uh, the, that murmuring was the background music to the wilderness experience of Israel. But I want you to see, and we won't go through this, I just kind of laid it out there. It was for my benefit, and maybe you'll benefit from it as well. There's a whole biblical theology of murmuring in the Bible. It's not just in the Old Testament, Exodus and in Numbers. Actually, murmuring in the wilderness is a significant theme progressively revealed through the whole Bible. In the Old Testament, we looked at it, Israel in the wilderness. They murmured after the Exodus. They murmured before the conquest. It was just murmur, 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 murmur. That's what they did. But when you come to the Gospels, Jesus, at the beginning, before his ministry started, he goes into the wilderness, and there... After his baptism and before his ministry, he did what Israel didn't do. He trusted and obeyed God in the wilderness, even though he was hungry, even though he was tempted, even though things were not the way he would want them to be, he passed the test of trusting and obeying without murmuring. Now, that gives us hope, amen? Because if Jesus did it, then he can help us do it, right? And then also... Uh, Israel was once again in the wilderness in John chapter 6 with Jesus, with Yahweh, with God. Jesus was Yahweh. They had that opportunity again with Jesus in their midst, not Moses, Jesus, and they failed in uh, when Jesus fed the 5,000. Then they came to him in the wilderness, said that we want more bread. And, uh, and they said, give us bread. Moses gave our fathers bread in the wilderness. Now give us bread. And uh, Jesus said, well, I am the bread of life. Eat of me, drink of me. Well, they didn't want any of that. And so they murmured. Literally, the word is there. Now, what's interesting is in the Hebrew, the word for murmuring sounds like murmuring. Okay. 
And so, murmur, murmur. When you say the Hebrew word, it sounds like murmuring. Well, what's interesting is in the New Testament, this word is translated grumbling. And the Greek word for grumbling in the New Testament sounds like... It's, it's all these guttural sounds. It sounds like grumbling. So, we these words sound like the very thing. And so, Israel grumbled there in the wilderness. But, when you come to the epistles in the New Testament, when you see the epistles... It's really interesting because now the early church uh, in the book of Acts, it comes to back to food again. We said so much of murmuring last week is about our basic needs not being met. And so you come to Acts chapter 6 and the early church is murmuring. They're grumbling. Why? Because certain widows, Hellenistic widows, did not have enough food. But here, the leaders of the early church took care of the needs. They reorganized the church and met those needs. But then you come to 1 Corinthians 10. And Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, once again takes this wilderness idea of murmuring and uh, applies it to us in the church. So I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll see uh, how this theme is important. I guess what I'm trying to communicate to you is this isn't just any toxic talk. This is something that God takes very seriously. It's something that the people of God are constantly tempted to do. And while there's a lot of defeat, there's also victory that is available to us. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 1 through 10. And Paul takes us right back to what we've been looking at in Exodus and Numbers. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our Our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized, or you could translate that, identified with Moses in the cloud and in the sea. In other words, they all experienced what Moses led them through. And look at verse 3. And all ate the same spiritual food, referring to the manna that God provided. Verse 4. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. So as they walked through the wilderness and were thirsty, God would use Moses to provide supernaturally, miraculously, water out of dry rock, dry land. And and that was a picture of relying on Christ. But look at verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, here's the application for us. Now, these things happened as examples for us that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. And here's some of the things that they craved that we're not to. Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. And when they stood up to play, it wasn't playing Monopoly, it was sexual immorality. Uh, Verse uh, uh, 8, as there he says it, Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. And then here is our word. Hebrew murmuring, New Testament grumbling, same, same idea. Verse 10, Nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Wow. 
Verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages come. And we'll just keep going. Uh, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. So we don't have to be godless grumblers. So here's what I want to do today. We're going to look at uh, two basic ways to detox your godless grumbling. The first way is this. You've got to recognize the destructive characteristics of murmuring. You've got to recognize the destructive characteristics of murmuring. And to do that, or as it says in verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So we're going to look at 10 destructive characteristics. And in doing so, we're going to be looking at numbers 13 and 14. Numbers 13 and 14. And we're just going to break down that Old Testament story and look at 10 characteristics. So let's look at the first one. And much of the story you're familiar with. They're on the edge of the Jordan for the first time, and they're about to conquer, uh, go in, cross the Jordan and conquer Canaan. Uh, Moses has sent out 12 spies. They've gone out, they spied out the land, they've come back, and they're bringing their report for the first time. And here's what's going on. So number one, the first characteristic is this. Murmuring focuses. It focuses on the side size of problem people and not the size of God's powerful presence. Murmuring always focuses on the size of the problem and not the size of God. Focuses on problem people rather than God's powerful presence. Look at Numbers 13, verse 26. Here's what it says. Numbers 13, verse 26. So look it up in your Bible. They proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. So these are the 12 spies. Thus they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. In other words, God's promises are true. The land's as good as he said it was. Nevertheless, and this is its fruit, and they, and they literally had to have this grape cluster that was on a pole, and it took two men to carry it. Again, that would have been awesome to see. Nevertheless, nevertheless, yeah, God, God's promises are true, and it's as good as he says. Nevertheless, the people who in, live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and all the other parasites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then, and, and then it says, then it jumps right in. Then Caleb quieted the people. Well, there, there, there's, there's something between the lines there. People are freaking out. People are murmuring. They're, they're panicking. And then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and Take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome. But the men who had gone up with him said this, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel, and you want to underline this, a bad report, a bad report of the land which they had spied out. 
saying, the land which we have gone in, in spying it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we, and here's the key, we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Now notice, the whole report is focused on what we can see and comparing ourselves to other people and what how they see us and how we see them. The bottom line is, the report is a godless perspective. God's not in that picture. He's in the good part. Yeah, God, it's as good as God said. But man, when we look at the problems... And we look at the problem people, now all of a sudden we have a godless perspective. Those who murmur, listen to me, those who murmur, when I murmur, when you murmur, it's because we think God's presence is meaningless. It's because we think God's promises are useless. It's because we see God's power as powerless to change people and circumstances. We're focusing on the size of of the problem and not focusing on the size of our God. They had no faith in God's presence or his promises. They were focusing merely on their problem. And and you just got to get this at the beginning. Murmuring is always a result of focusing on the wrong thing. It's, it's, It's like, oh, God is so good. And then you look at your problem and, and all of a sudden God's not even there. Oh, God is so good. Yeah, I know God's good. He does this. He does this. But when I, but, but I'm talking about my problem. Well, I know you're talking about your problem, but let's talk about the goodness of God applied to your problem. Are you with me? Do you see what I'm saying? And so when we murmur, we're simply expressing our godless perspective on life. Murmuring is godless grumbling. That's the bottom line. Murmuring is godless grumbling. So you got to see that characteristic. Now, second thing that we see out of what we just read is this. Here's the second characteristic. Murmuring is born in the context of bad reports. If there is more if there's murmuring among God's people, someone is spreading bad reports. We see this in verse 32. So they gave out the sons of Israel a bad report of the land and here's what they said. So look at verses 30 and 33 in your Bible. The land through which we have gone and spying out is a land that devours inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in that land are men of great size. They We also saw the Nephilim. We became like grasshoppers in our sight and so we were in their sight. Now, the Bible just gave you a description of a bad report. So if you want to know the characteristics of a bad report, here's the characteristics. And here's the first one. Bad reports are often very creative. They're creative. Bad reports are creative. They're exaggerated. They're imaginative. I don't care what word you use, word you want to use, but they're made up. They have aspects of them that go beyond the truth. Notice a land that devours its inhabitants. Now, what does that mean? A land that devour if if the land devoured its inhabitants, would there be anybody left in the land? But were there all sorts of people in the land? So what they do, and here's how bad reports start. Bad reports usually start out 
with a creative, imaginative, exaggerated statement that pulls you in. It's a land that devours its inhabitants. What do you, that sounds scary. That sounds huge. That sounds unbelievable. What do you mean by that? Well, now they hooked you. In other words, a bad report about someone would begin with, can you believe that so-and-so did this? And it's exaggerated, it's creative, it's not true, but because it's creative, you're like, huh? Really? And then the bad report goes. Are you with me? Have you all... You know how it works? It's creative. Number two, it's selective. Number two, it's selective in emphasizing the negative and the impossible. So now that they've hooked you, it says all the people whom we saw. Okay, it's a land that devours its inhabitants, and yet we saw people in it. This isn't make. See, it's not logical. It doesn't make sense. But all the people we saw were giants. Now, were everybody giants? No, just the Nephilim. Just Anak and his descendants. The Canaanites weren't giants. The, Hitt- the Hittites weren't giants. They were not all giants. But what are they choosing to focus on? They are selective. There's a lot of people in there, but let's focus on the most scary ones. Let's, you know. So let me tell you this story. Let me murmur about this problem, but let me only look at the, the, the most negative aspects of the problem. Selective. Number three, subjective. Bad reports are very subjective due to human reason, comparison, and insecurity. We became like grasshoppers in our own sight. Now, if you can hear, you just got to hear the insecurity in that. We became like grasshoppers in our own sight. God's nowhere in that picture. God's promises aren't being brought into the perspective. They are subjectively looking at the most negative aspects and saying, in light of the negative aspects... I am nothing. I am toast. I am a failure. I can't overcome. I don't want to do this. I will fail. Do you see how it feeds on that? It's all subjective. It's all subjective. And we all think that about ourselves when we look at our problems and we only look at them from our own limited resources. Number four, it's speculative. It's speculative. Bad reports are often speculative in assuming the worst about others and the problem. Notice it says, and so we were in their sight. And so we were in their sight. Well, first of all, they're spies. Did the other, did the giants and all the other people in the land, had they, did they even see them? No, they hadn't seen them. So what is this? This is just speculation. I know what they're thinking. And listen, murmuring is always rooted in if you knew in, in this idea of I know what they're thinking and I know what they're going to do. This is why it's so bad because so and so thinks this. Really? Have you been in their mind recently? Are you a mind reader? Well, I, and so and so is going to respond this way. Oh, really? So you you know the future? You know, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, they, you can't work with them. They'll just do this, this and this. Oh, really? That's, that's pure speculation. Are you with me? So we were in their sight. In reality, you know what the people thought about Israel? Even the giants? We know from Scripture, they were scared of the Israelites because they had heard about the Exodus. They had heard about God's ten plagues. They had heard about God's fiery cloud 
uh, preceding them. They had heard about Pharaoh, the superpower of that nation being destroyed. These people were not thinking they were grasshoppers. They were thinking they were the giants. Pure speculation. Number five, bad reports often are said with uh, are authoritative, authoritative in claiming superior knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Hey, we spied this out. We checked this out. We saw this from our perspective, spoken with great authority. The only problem was, whose authority is, is the authority that counts? The authority of God's Word. Okay? Number six, it's seductive. Bad reports are seductive. They, they seduce our worst fears and, and, and they tempt our sin nature. They're seductive. Because they always lead, they lead and they feed our worst fears and anxieties. And they tempt us. So, here's the response to the bad report. Look at Numbers 14, verse 1. Having said, we were grasshoppers in their sight, and so we were, so we were in their sight. Here's what happens. Look at 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the weep people wept that night. All the sons of Israel what? What's it say? They grumbled. They murmured against Moses and Aaron. Listen, bad reports always, always, always lead to God's people murmuring. And that leads us to number three. Once you start murmuring, number three, murmuring breeds and feeds on self-pity. Murmuring is a focus, it's, it's a symptom of self-centered self-pity. Look at verse 2. All the sons of Israel murmured, grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in the wilderness. Now that's just, that's, basically, let's have a wilderness pity party. Oh, it'd been so much better if we had just died in the land of Egypt, if we had died in the wilderness. Now, what is what is what is the one thing repeated in both those statements? Look at your Bible. What's the one what's the one thing? Died. Died. Now think through what they're saying. This is what happens when you focus on self instead of on God and his promises. They would rather die then trust God and defeat giants. They would rather die than to trust God and defeat giants. They focus, they would rather focus on a place of carnal bondage. Oh, I wish we had died in the land of Egypt. I wish I was just back in that land of bondage and I just would die there. Or, I wish if only we had died in the wilderness. Well, guess what? Why didn't they die in the wilderness? I mean, they're in a wilderness with millions of people and they have no food and they have no water. Why didn't they die? Because God kept them alive. And how did God keep them alive? Bread and water on a daily basis. When they needed it, God provided it. Listen to me. Listen to me. Self-pity forgets God's gracious provisions in the wilderness. You're facing a big problem. 
And, it, and rather than trust God and overcome that problem, we start focusing on self and we'd rather die in disbelief and die in carnal bondage than to trust God and do battle with giants. Yes, that's scary. Yes, our problems are big and they're real and they're, they're, they're overwhelming to us. But then we forget God's gracious provision in the hard times. They're, they're just... Later, we're going to see God says, you're spurning me. You're spurning me. They're rejecting God. They're forgetting God. They're having a pity party in the face of their problems. And when we begin to pity ourselves, it leads to the fourth destructive characteristic, and it's this. Murmuring quickly jumps to wrong conclusions. Murmuring quickly jumps to wrong conclusions. So here's what they say. After having their pity party, and they'd rather die than trust God and and face their giants, they say in verse 3, Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? See, they finally bring God into the problem, and what do they do? They blame Him for it instead of trusting for it. Listen. I don't think I can even, I cannot, I cannot explain the the magnitude of unbelief, and yet I can so relate to this. Can you relate to this? It's hard to explain because basically you experience it. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Is that a wrong conclusion? Yeah, what was God bringing them into the land to do? Who was going to fall by the sword? The giants were going to fall by the sword. The the, the ungodly, the problem people. It was very obvious, opposite. But because they've gone down this path, they're drawing wrong conclusions. Number five, murmuring leads to fear-based decision-making. Murmuring leads to fear-based decision-making. It distorts good judgment, and you start making bad decisions. And look at 14.3. Here's the bad decisions. Why is the Lord bringing us into the land? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Okay, now they wish they had died. Now they're going to go back to the place of bondage. Let's go back to the place of bondage. Life was so much better in the place of bondage. And listen, this sounds this sounds this sounds spiritually stupid, doesn't it? And yet, you know how many of us when faced with the challenge of living for God, will say, you know what, I'm just going to go back in my sin. You know, rather than dealing with my lust problem, I'm just, going to, I'm just going to wallow in it. Rather than dealing with trusting God about what I'm worried about, I'm just going to wallow in my worry. That's what they're doing. And then they say this. Then they said to one another, hey, we can fix this. Let's appoint a leader and return to Egypt. You talk about a dumb move. You talk about the stupidity of sin. Who's their leader? Who's their leader in the wilderness? Moses, one of the greatest leaders of all time. Let's replace him. Let's replace him. This guy's a nut. He can't be trusted. Number six, murmuring thrives in an atmosphere of fear and insecurity. Murmuring thrives in an atmosphere of fear in insecurity in 14:9 look at 14:9 the only two guys spies that were trusting God and seeing God 
is bigger than their problems was Caleb and Joshua. And here's what they say in verse 9. Do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. See, it's God's presence. Do not fear them. Twice it says. So here's what I want to ask you. What fears drive your own godless grumbling? So what, when you catch yourself, maybe right now you're in a situation where you're complaining and murmuring. Stop and ask yourself, get your eyes off the problem and ask God to show you the fear underneath your grumbling. Are you with me? And the next time you catch yourself grumbling, ask yourself, remember, my problem is not the problem. What am I fearing? What am I fearing? Number seven, murmuring is always countered by a God-fearing, faith-based minority. Murmuring is always countered by a God-fearing, faith-based minority. Look at Numbers uh, 14, look at verses 5. Look, look at verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation. And they said, the land which we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good. They agreed. But then they said this, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. But all the congregation said to them, said to stone them with stones. Okay? Another bad decision. Okay? But here's what I want you to see. Whenever you're up against murmuring, there's always a godly, godly minority that's saying the right things. Who are you running with? Are you running with the majority? Or you're running with the minority. This is true at work. It's true at church. It's true at school. It's true wherever you're at. Number eight, murmuring that goes unchecked leads to rebellion. Whoa, we just read that. In verse nine, do not rebel against the Lord. In fact, in verse uh, 10, notice, look at verse 10. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. And listen to verse 11. Here's what God says. The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me? That's always the heart of the problem in murmuring. Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst. Look at verse 22. Drop down to verse 22. Surely... All the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test ten times and have not listened to my voice. It's rebellion against God. So let me give you a couple things here about this rebellion. First of all, it's a rebellion that rejects the fact that God is in control. Murmuring rejects the fact that God is in control. Secondly, it refuses to believe that God can conquer any circumstances, even giants. And third, it rebels by making the wrong choice about what we can control and not realizing that God uses problem people 
in difficult situations to make us more like Jesus. So what does this kind of rebellion spread? It, respe- it spreads three things, four things. Disbelief. Mur- disbelief that says, we can't do that. We can't do that. Murmuring is always filled with negatives. Secondly, it spreads discontent. Why does he want us to do that? Why does he want us to do it? Why did he lead us here so our children could die? Number three, it spreads dissatisfaction. I don't want to do that. Do you want to do that? I don't want to do that. Murmur, 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 murmur. And then four, it leads to disobedience. I won't do that, and neither should you. Let's get a new leader. Let's go this way, not that way. Number nine, murmuring, as you would expect, is severely judged by God. Murmuring is severely judged by God. It's destructive. That's what 1 Corinthians 10.10 says, Nor grumble as as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Listen, God was long-suffering with the Israelites. He, gave, he, he, he says, they, they tempted me ten times. He, every day he was providing them provision. Every day he was sustaining them. And every day they murmured, they murmured, and they murmured, and then God finally said, it's enough. And when his judgment came, it came swift, and it came, and it was final, and there was no room for repentance in it any longer. And in Numbers 14, at the end of the chapter, here's what God does. When we murmur, and we keep murmuring, and we don't stop murmuring, then He gives us that which we murmured about. They said, oh, I wish we could die in the wilderness. And what did He say? Bingo, you get to die in the wilderness. Oh, we don't want to go in there in the promised land. Great, then you don't go in the promised land. Our children will die. Guess what? They're not going to die. They're going to live, but you're going to die. And they're going to suffer for your for your murmuring. they got to listen to you guys and wonder with you guys for 40 years until you're all dead. But then they get to go in. He gave them what they wanted. This is what God's judgment always is. Be careful what you're murmuring about. Because if you persist in that, God will give it to you. But in a way that you never expected but it will be a way that is final and is permanent. Listen, it's always better to trust God and battle the giants than to murmur and suffer His judgment. Amen? Number 10, and this is the kicker right here. Murmuring is a result of gospel exposure without gospel application. Murmuring is the result. This is why God's people murmur. Or this is why people who are exposed to the gospel murmur. Because it's merely an exposure to God's word and to God's presence, but they don't apply it to their problems. Now let's go back to 1 Corinthians 10 again. And God's divine commentary on this. Look at 1 Corinthians 10 and let's look at verses 1 through 5 again. And here's what Paul says, and I say it too. I don't want you guys to be unaware. Don't be ignorant of this. Don't, don't not be aware of this, brethren. That our fathers, that is the nation of Israel that we've just been reading about, were all under the cloud. They were all led by God's presence. And they all passed through the Red Sea. Every one of them experienced that miracle. 
And they were all identified with Moses by the cloud and by the sea. They, they were all identified with this great deliverer, this great leader, this great prophet. And they all ate the same manna every day. They ate it. And they all drank from the spiritual drink, the water that came out of the rock, which represented Christ himself who was with them. Though they didn't see him, though they couldn't, they didn't see him. They didn't think he was there, but he was there and giving them daily provision. Don't miss this. God is not always there in the big miracle removing your problem, but he's there in the daily provision to keep facing your problem. Are you with me? And notice what he says. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low. Listen, these people died. And I believe... And you can disagree with me because it's not clear. So you're welcome to disagree with me. We know they all died and they missed the promised land. I think when you look at the New Testament, I think when you put it all together, these people were unbelievers. The vast majority of Israel were unbelievers. Millions, millions. Joshua, Caleb, Moses, Aaron, Miriam, a handful. Why? Because they took the notes, they came to church, they heard all of God's promises, they saw God's presence providing for the Makande people, for bringing people to the Lord, changing people's lives. But in the midst of all this, when they faced their problems, they didn't apply God's promises to their problems. They had no faith with what they were hearing. And so, when we aren't applying the gospel to our problems, then we're murmuring. I don't know about you, but that's that's pretty powerful stuff. So, here's the second step in the process. The first is to recognize these destructive characteristics. So, you got to recognize them. But then, you got to recommit to giving constructive criticism. Because I don't want you to think the idea is, okay, my only option is murmuring or not doing anything about problems. There is a way to give constructive criticism. But you do it God's way, and that that never involves murmuring. So here's what you do. Number one, when you've got problem people, or you've got a problem, or you're, you're facing a wilderness experience, surrender yourself and the situation to God in prayer. That's the first step. Listen, it's okay to complain. It's all about who you complain to. Complain to God. That's what the lament psalms. We just read through the psalms this summer. David was a murmurer, but he murmured in prayer to God. Are you with me? Complain, but complain to God. After all, who, who's the one in control? Who can handle your complaints? He can. Who can do something about his complaints if they're in keeping with his will? He can. Commit your problem and your problem people to God. Who's going to change him anyway? God, me murmuring with Jim is not going to change anything. This table murmuring over here is not going to change anything. Our murmuring changes nothing except our hearts into negativity and unbelief. So commit your problems. That's what 1 Peter 5 says. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Resist the devil. Don't murmur. And in time, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory will himself perfect you, confirm you, strengthen you, 
and establish you. Listen, you've got to learn to accept what you can't control and to do the right thing about the things that you can control and realize that God cares about all of it. Number two, seek to resolve the issue with those who are actually part of the solution. This is the problem with murmuring. When you murmur, we rarely murmur to the people who are actually in charge or responsible to change. No one murmured to Moses. They murmured against Moses. Are you with me? And listen, when we go to those who are not part of the solution, we encourage murmuring and we make the problem harder to solve. Why? Because we spread it. Now more people know about it. Now there's more discontent and it's harder to resolve. And ultimately, you'll experience God's judgment. So here's what you do when you seek to go to those who are actually part of the solution. Assure those in authority of three things. First of all, your loyalty. Hey, I'm not here because I'm against you. I'm for you. Let's work on this problem together. Number two, your willingness to help. Again, I'm not here to point out problems so that you can solve them. I'm here to look for solutions so that together we can work on them. And number three, assure them of your teachable spirit that, hey, you know what? I could be wrong about this. I could be wrong about this. Okay, so that's how you do constructive criticism. We're on. If this isn't you versus me, us versus them. This is all of us, God's people, facing giants together. How can we do this? Number three, steer others to follow your example instead of murmuring to you. Steer others to follow your example of not murmuring about the problem. Philippians 2, 14 through 16 says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. Listen. When we murmur, we're a bad witness. When we don't, and we trust God together and work through problems, and there are always going to be problems. God puts giants in our way for a reason. Number four, strive to apply the gospel to your difficult, fearful, anxious, wilderness experiences with an obedient faith. Strive to apply the gospel. And I've given you 1 Corinthians 10. Jude 5 talks about these people being destroyed because of their unbelief. Hebrews 3 says, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as when they provoked me in the wilderness. Listen, we've got difficult, fearful, anxious, wilderness experiences that God allows and often leads us into for his glory. For our good. And when we're in that wilderness experience, you've got a choice. Am I going to trust God and face my giants and remember God's daily provision? Or am I going to murmur and turn inward and pity myself and wish I could die in the wilderness rather than see God's blessings in the promised land? This is just good stuff. So here's two things you got to do. I got to do them too i got to recognize the destructive characteristics of murmuring. And i got to reject those. i got to repent of those. And then recommit myself to applying the gospel to my 
wilderness experiences so that I won't murmur and I won't have toxic talk. Amen? God can help us with this. And to say this isn't a problem, then we're denying the Old Testament stories, the Gospel stories, the New Testament. I mean, this is a perennial problem with God's people. It's a problem I struggle with. It's a problem you struggle with. So let's conquer it. Amen? Jesus conquered it in the wilderness. Jesus' Spirit dwells in us, and we are in Him. We don't have to murmur. Can we say amen to that? Okay, now can we all say amen to that? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the example of the Israelites. Man, it's easy to look down on them and say, man, they they were idiots. They were just dumb. But Lord, we're equally dumb. Sin is stupid. Unbelief is foolish. And you judge those who do not apply the gospel by faith in their hearts. That's what unbelievers are. That's what unbelief is. And unbelief always is judged. Yet, Lord, we are those who stand in Christ. And so we have only one option, not to harden our hearts when we hear your word. And so I pray... Whatever situation, and we all have different ones, whatever situation we're in right now that leads to self-pity, that leads to unbelief, oh, Father, I pray that we would see you are present among us in the power of the resurrection and that your promises are true. May we hold this promise, do all things without godless woman. And we give you the glory for it. And the lost people we're around, they need to see this in us, Father. So help us to not participate, but to point them in a direction of trusting and believing in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.